What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, yes, sir. Ron and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, along with an honorable guest, Chris Hagnaggy, author, founder, social engineer. So many things. You, you even have a conference now, so oh thanks, my gosh. For, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me on and being so flexible with everything. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. We were just talking about the last time we saw each other, and I was like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, it's been five years. I was like, oh, it hasn't been that long ago. It was, uh, what, 2015? Like, uh, that's five years ago. <laughs> Man, yeah. time just slips away. And it feels weird to say it's 2020. It is. It is weird to say it's 2020. Yeah. I mean, where's my flying cars and my floating cities? I know, That's right? a good question. I've been waiting popular for that. science said that I was going to have this when I was a kid. Early. I have a popular science that says that. Come on. Or at least my little hover skateboard, you know, mm -hmm. so right. we can go around. Yeah. But we do, we do have hoverboards. They just don't hover. <laughs> they just catch on fire. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Super excited for this talk. Uh, for everybody that doesn't know who you are yet, I mean, you are a household name in cybersecurity, but for everybody that doesn't know who you are, if you could just explain who you are and, and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So, oh boy, we're going back a decade and a half or so. I was the operations manager for Offensive Security, which was a fun, fun company. And most of us probably taken a cert from there or tried at least. They're painful. Yep. And I was the SE guy. So always doing the social engineering during our pen test, really enjoyed the human interaction part. And ended up writing a framework for social engineering because I wanted to write a course on how to use SE as a professional. And uh, Maddie said, you can't write a course without writing a, a framework. You know, we, there, needs, there is no public framework for social engineering in the world. Yep. So that took me 10 months. And that was a pretty long process. I had some help from some community members. And basically, all I did was look at my bookshelf and pull books off that I used to learn skills and, and <clears throat> you know, say influence, you know, Robert Cialdini, and then list the things I... I did I learned from him and that framework went online at uh, it's still there social-engineer.org it's now improved of course and more professional and that was out for just a couple months and I got a call from Kevin Mitnick's publisher who asked me to write a book which I laughed at her and hung up and said no well <laughs> I said that's funny but I'm not an author and Maddie's like what the heck are you doing call her back write the book and I'm like no I'm not you know he's like you're a moron write the book. <laughs> so I, I called her back, accepted the offer. And that book is the social engineering, the art of human hacking, yep. uh, which is now I think 11 years old, if you can believe that. Wow. Um, so that book came out. And again, same thing. I wish I could say I was a genius and had a plan, but it came out and just was really popular. And people started calling and saying, can you consult? Can you do this? So I started my own company. And I was uh, really smart. I named it social engineer because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lyrical genius, you know, <laughs> you know, not too creative, obviously, yeah. but you know, got, I got the, the name there and, and now it's been a, a decade of running this company. Wow. And when we started, I could still remember thinking about like, like, how are we going to just do a company yeah. that focuses only on SE? Like nobody does fishing and fishing and those kind of things. And now everyone's a social engineer, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and I feel really good about that. I'm not saying that sarcastically. It's great to see that it's become an industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, and at the same time, when I started that, I was running a very, very tiny village at DEF CON called SE Village, tiny. where we did the, it was tiny at the time. It, <laughs> it was, was my first, my first room was 150 square feet. If you can believe that. That's insane. Last year we had 11,000 square feet. 
Right. Yeah, and it was, I mean, there was people on the floor sitting in the corners. It was pretty crazy. And that just shows, too, how social engineering has grown over the decade, you know, that people are so interested. We started with a tiny room, and now we pack out 11,000 square feet. And and that's where, you know, my brain went, hey, maybe we should start our own conference and not try to compete with DEF CON, right? So don't do DEF CON Junior. Do a professional SE conference, a conference where folks can come if they want to be in this field and learn from the people that I wish I could have learned from personally when I was starting out. So I called all those people <laughs> and I invited them and nine of them said yes. And, and then I formed this conference that to me is, is probably one of the best ideas I've ever had. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> no, we're super excited yeah. for you. Uh, that, that's amazing. And, you know, just going to one of the, the CTFs for, for social engineering, you're like, this needs to be a conference on its own. Because if, if you get up out of your seat for a moment, you lost your seat. Like, don't even, don't yeah. even try. There are people waiting outside the door trying to get in. I it, remember when uh, you were trying to introduce Chris and I, and yeah. there was just too long of a line at, at Black Hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was crazy. It's it it crazy. I, 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 I actually go out and apologize to people because people will wait in line for three hours. Last year, we had 11,000 square feet, and the line went down. We were on the third floor. The line went down three floors. It snaked oh, through the lobby gosh, of every floor right. and was into the casino. And I'm like, I, I don't, you people are crazy. I'm like, this is, <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, I'm like, I was apologizing and I, I felt bad. And there was just no, we, you know, fire code. We just, there was not a place to put another body safely, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that, that was, that's really like, that's encouraging for me because people are not coming because they want to be bad they really want to understand how se works mm -hmm. and and it's the you know we we keep coming out with patches for software and stuff but there really is no fix for se so it's education mm -hmm. right yeah and that's why Absolutely. we need this it's, yep. it's quite it's quite awesome to see and what industry and what kind of uh topic does se not touch it really exactly. touches everything everything so anyone any industry can learn a lot about social engineering right I agree with that 100%. And that's, we actually had this discussion with someone else recently. That very same question was asked. And we literally tried to name industries and say, yeah, well, this. And then we're like, no, no. And I remember the most fascinating one to me was we were talking about sign language interpreter. And right away, <laughs> someone was like, heck no, that's tons of SE. They yeah. use their facial expression for everything. Like, you know, I, I was talking to a, a woman who does sign language interpreting over the phone. Yeah. Uh, like, so, you know, like a deaf person will call on a, on a, a camera phone mm -hmm. and then they, they have a person they need to talk to and the deaf person signs and then the speaking person translates that message. Right. And oh, okay. the, the translator's facial expressions are direly important into telling the person on the phone, the emotion of the caller. Right. So this woman was telling me she actually, and by FCC law, she can't change the words she got a scam call. This deaf grandma got a scam call mm -hmm. and she had to translate the scam call. And oh. the only thing she can do was change her facial expression a little bit to look afraid, hopefully making the woman feel like this isn't right. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I'm like, dang, that is pure SE. Like you had to, you had to alter this person's mental state with a facial expression. I'm like, wow. dang, like, that's awesome. But also really scary. Good on the interpreter for catching yeah. that and being like, no. I told her that. Yeah. I told her that. I'm like, dang, you need to be like everyone's interpreter. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I know <clears throat> you, you have podcast yourself. You've done a gazillion talks. Everybody asks you like, how do I become a social engineer? But <clears throat> I think the thing that's on the forefront of our minds is how do you build a community like you've built over, you know, these years, because it's a tight knit group. <clears throat> you have winners that go on to do stuff in cybersecurity. I think you had some stats about, you know, people that come into the social engineer CTF and then transition to cybersecurity. I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. Like, and I, yeah. I don't know if people really know that on a big level. So if, if you could sort of talk about how things grew organically and how, how does it make you feel to know that you've transitioned so many people to, to new careers? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So I, I wish I had a like an equation to tell you how that works because I didn't realize that was going to happen, right? So when I started the SECTF, it was around the same time I was starting my own company and the same time my first book came out. Like the mm. SECTF was first, right? Then the book came out. And all of this was happening at once. And I didn't see that this was going to change everything. Like this was going to change people's lives. This was going to change the market. This was going to make... Uh, cybersecurity different. I didn't realize all of that was was going to happen the way the way it did, and and that was fascinating for me to watch it. So from what I saw, it was like okay, we we started out with with let's say my company and the book, and people were reading that, and I was getting comments back not about cybersecurity, not about infosec, mm -hmm. but I was getting uh, feedback from them about them using it in their daily lives, mm -hmm. saying like right. oh this this helped my this helped my relationship with my girlfriend or this, this helped me get a raise. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So then my course comes out and you know, the first name for my course was social engineering for penetration testers. Yep. So I was really focusing on, on pen testing and you know, the class comes out and I'm, I'm selling out classes, which feels really great. You know, this is like a, a humble brag, but it was like the first SE course ever to be allowed at black hat. Yep. And, and I remember like that class selling out, and we had pen testers coming out of those class going, I know how to use SE now. And then a weird transition happened about two, maybe three years into training the class. I started to see 20% of the class wasn't from InfoSec, then 40%, then 50%. And literally we got up to like about now, it's somewhere between 50 and 60% of my class has nothing to do with InfoSec. Wow. And I'd be like, what are you doing here? Like, you know, I mean, to the point I changed the name to advanced practical social engineering because I, right. I couldn't focus on pen testing. And it was like psychologists, doctors, therapists, you know, housewives and house husbands, marketing people, salespeople. I had a Zumba dancer, a Zumba instructor in my wow. class. And I was like, why are you here? And she's, the answers were routinely the same as someone they knew from InfoSec took the class, came back and told their friends group, you need to take this class because it, it changes the way you think about life, the way you communicate. It's not about infosec. Now, even mm. though I'm focusing on my stories of breaking into banks and stuff like that in the class, we're talking about how to communicate better as, yep. to other humans. So uh, that shift was huge for me. And it was the reason why I started this conference, right? So when I saw that happen, by that time, let's say I wrote my book with Dr. Ekman. That was my second book. So yep. that was all about nonverbals. And then Michelle and I wrote a book on phishing, which was a very niche book, right? It's only great if, 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 you, if you are in a corporate environment where you're starting a phishing program. Mm -hmm. But then my fourth book, I had to rewrite my first one. because My first one was just awful. Lots of bad errors and 
it sounds like my first book. It's really, don't, don't read it, you know, just don't read it. And, and I rewrote the, the, the first book with, and it was titled Social Engineering, The Science of Human Hacking. And that, when that book came out, it really, I went through scientific studies from the last decade that show how we influence people and communicate with people and, and manipulate people and how we use nonverbals. And I used all those studies to show on a scientific level how this works. And people were reading that and saying, you know, this saved my marriage. And I'm like, what? Like, wow. Like, what are you talking about? I had this guy like literally calling me, crying, telling me that him and his wife sat down and were talking about the communication profiling um, part of, of the class and the book. And they realized that they were incompatible in communicating and they fixed their problems. And I'm like, but I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm just a right. hacker, right? Like yeah. it felt so weird. But then the more I interviewed people on my own podcast, I started <clears> to see, like I had Joe Navarro on and I'm like, mm -hmm. Joe, like I'm learning so much just by listening from you. I'm going to go use that. And I was like that I used it. So that was amazing. And then I did that with like Ian Rowland, who's like a cold reader. And then I did it with Dov Barron as a leadership expert. And then Stephanie Paul with like a, a neuroscience expert. And I'm like, I'm doing these things. I need to get these people to teach everybody. So mm -hmm. I approached them with that concept. Like, what do you think about coming and not doing a speech, like running a two, four, six hour workshop training, teaching people how to do these things so they can leave a classroom having a skill. And they were like, well, that's unique. That's kind of cool. Let's do it. And that's how this got born. So, you know, answering your question is how, how do I feel about it? As I'm watching people, um, um, if we just go back five years, I know I'm jumping around in the timeline. If I go back five years, I start seeing the shift where people are competing in the competition, they're reading the book, and then they're entering the field. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's pride but fear, right? I feel great that that's happening. But what I'm seeing is probably just like when the pen testing industry started, there's a lot of people not doing it right. Right. You know, they're just out there and they're like, I can see anyone. And they're not caring about the person's feelings they're using manipulation. They're using negative tactics. They're bragging about you know, how bad they made someone feel or it's all about winning. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then we did something as a shift really, really powerful is we wrote a code of ethics for social engineers. Wow, um, good. And that's on the, the social-engineer.org site on the framework. And that code of ethics was used at major conferences as a, as a code of ethics for SE courses. I actually have a small country in uh, Europe that called to ask if they can use the code of ethics as part of their internal documentation for social engineering penetration testing. Mm. And it became a standard now to, to have that code of ethics if you're going to do SE. So now we can have a clear line in between those who want to leave you feeling better for having met you and those who just want to manipulate you. And, and when I started seeing the shift of people just entering the industry, I had I had a lot of pride, but I'm like, now I have a responsibility <laughs> and not saying I'm the reason I'm not that, I'm not that arrogant, <laughs> but to say that if my competition is leading people into getting a job in this field, then I felt it was like my responsibility to make sure they were doing it ethically and morally and, and the best way possible. Now I can't force people to do that, but if I put this education out there as much as possible, at least I'm arming them with the best tools to do this the right way. Right. That was a so, long answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, that was great. <laughs> Fantastic. A lot of background, a lot of yeah. details. So being one of the like forefathers of SE and probably helping other companies get built and building your own competition, do you still find yourself collaborating with 
competitors and seeing maybe some of your underlings and understudies now becoming competitors right. and being successful in the field? You know, that's a, that's a great question. So the answer is yes and no. And it, to me, it depends. And I know this sounds really judgmental, but I guess I have that prerogative like everyone does. If, if I feel that someone is handling their business right, I have no problem collaborating because think about it. I mean, we're in the same industry. Have, have we ever competed against each other on a quote or a job or an RFP? Probably not. And if we mm. did, are either of us living in a box because of it? No. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like there's so much work out there mm-hmm. that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, eating bread and drinking water because <laughs> I, I lost a quote to, to yeah. one of my competitors. So I'll give you a great example, right? An awesome guy, Chris Silvers. Seems to be in the name Chris. So lots of great Chris's in this industry, right? <laughs> so many good Chris's. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Chris Silvers, he, you know, he's been in the industry forever. He's been doing uh, pen testing and security work forever. I met him. He came in and competed in the competition. Southern guy, just really charming. And now he, he, you know, he won an SECTF black badge, started a company that focuses um, on social engineering as well as other services. We talk all the time. As a matter of fact, he helps me at SE Village every year. He's coming to our conference in Orlando. Um, sure, we compete, but when I look at him, I'm like, you're a model of how to run a business doing this. You, you, you do wow. it ethically, morally. You, like, so am I, am, I, am I hurting myself by helping him? I don't think so. Right, you know, right. I, like, I think it's selfish to say, I don't want anyone to compete with me. I look at it a different way. Like, first of all, there's way too much work. So I, I, I can easily, you know, we, we don't need to worry about that. There's more work than we can handle. And second, and this is kind of almost a little S-E-E, you know, <laughs> is I think that competition becomes like a free sales force, right? right. I've, been, I've been singing the S-E song for 11 years now. Mm-hmm. And, and people might get tired of hearing, oh, this guy, he's always going to tell me I need to do fishing. Mm-hmm. But now if I got 500 people out there all singing the same song, Yep. And then everyone goes, well, I heard that from Chris, but then I heard it from this other guy and I heard it from this gal and I heard it from this person. Now they go, maybe it's true because all these people are saying it. Right. And then when they type in social engineering into Google, guess who comes up first? You know, so, it's, <laughs> so I'm like, I got a, I got a free sales force, you know, yep. so I'm looking at it like almost like that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. So for the, the conference, what, what can people look forward to? I know you spoke about some of the experts that are going to be there. What other things are going to be at the conference? Yeah, so the concept for that was, was really interesting. I didn't want to do a traditional hacker con, right? I wanted to do something more uh, educational, so something that was really geared on leaving with a skill, not just speeches. So we do have a speaking track, but it's only one day. It's only on Thursday. But the, the, the course is geared or the, the conference is geared towards workshops, so we have our Paul Wilson. He was, a, he was a British guy from The Real Hustle. He's an actor and a director from, from the UK. And he was on The Real Hustle UK. He's like one of the most prolific con men. He's coming and doing uh, a, a whole workshop. It's like half a day on how to use deception and sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. I got Joan of already mentioned doing a whole, a whole session on, on body language and nonverbals. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Paul, who's an actress, and a consultant. She studies neuroscience and how acting helps us. I got Dov Barron, who's a leadership expert. He's coming in and doing a whole uh, session on how to use leadership skills. Nick Ferno, who's like the world's leading cryptocurrency investigator in the UK, and he wrote a course on that. He's doing a whole course on OSINT and, and crypto. Let's see, Ian Rowland is doing a huge, huge thing on cold reading. 
which is just mm. fascinating. Like he trains the FBI and the CIA and other places like that on like he, in the seventies, he was like, I want to see like psychics can't be real. So right. he actually studied how cold reading works. He yeah. wrote multiple books on the topic and now he teaches people how to be a cold reader. Wow. And that's so interesting. Super interesting. Right? And, interesting. And, and here's the mind blowing part, right? This is the part that just like, he's on my podcast and he tells me exactly how cold reading works. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, that sounds fascinating, but it sounds like, like you would know that it's coming. Like it just sounds too obvious. Then he does it on me. No and way. it works. Get out of here. And I'm like, what? On the podcast? On the podcast. Oh, I got to go listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> like he's sitting there and I'm there there with the with my other panelist and he's just saying things like and it, and it's you know, and I'm not going to do it as good as him, but he's like, you know, I'm feeling that you have a relative that wants to talk to you. And it's a female, female relative. Someone close to you, maybe a friend, maybe not a relative, but someone close to you. I'm getting an M or a G, an S, and then you hear the S, yes, S. That's it. It's S. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, he didn't. He just read my nonverbals over a microphone. Like, what the heck is happening here? Oh, and, wow. And he does the thing. And, and like two minutes later, my panelist, she's telling him, yeah, that's, that's Sally or whatever. I, she's been my best friend forever. She, I'm like, no, no, it didn't just work. It did not just work. I just literally, no. And I'm like, but yeah, it worked. <laughs> wow. Like that's fast. So he's teach, he teaches people how to do that. We have Amanda Berlin from the community doing a whole workshop on uh, mental health in this industry, which is something I think it's wow. really important for us yep. um, to focus on. And then Brittany Caldwell, who owns a production company for theater, she's doing a whole class on method acting. Whoa. So, yeah. So, you know, there's like these workshops that are running throughout the days. And then every night there's like the, one of the things that I had a concept for, you know, how you go to a speech and you see this really awesome person, but then they leave after and you never get to hang out with them. So my, my yeah. contracts with these people was, if you come, you have to stay for the whole conference. You've got to hang out with everyone every night. <laughs> and That's I literally cool. said that to them. I'm like, you know, part of what I want people to have is the experience that I've had, like these people are my friends. I got yeah. to spend time with them mm -hmm. and I want you to come and drink some whiskey with them, eat some dinner with them, spend time and, and get to know them. So that way they can have that same experience, that learning experience that I had. So every one of these people is coming and hanging out and they're going to be there at night with the events that we have and just being part of the, the crowd. So it's going to, it's going to be phenomenal, you know? Oh man, that's, that's so awesome. Sounds like a really cool conference. One thing, speaking of, you know, hanging around with people and, and personas and things like that, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with uh, Paul Ekman. Uh, obviously yeah. he's been really crucial to your development, crucial to some of the stuff that you've put out. What's it, what was it like, you know, doing <laughs> research and hanging out with Paul Ekman? Man, scary. You know, yeah. and he, he's, he, well, he's, he's time, one of Time Magazine's 50 most influential psychologists in the history of mankind, right? Wow. So just seeing that and then being like, <clears throat> I'm going to work with him and I'm basically a moron. You know, I have like no PhD. <laughs> I have no, like, you know, I'm not a researcher, right. I, you know, and, and, and I expected that to matter, but it doesn't to him. What he cares about is your passion and desire to be right, to do things right, not your desire to be right, to do right. things correctly. That's what he cares about. It's not about your three letters after your name or anything like that. Right. But working with him was it was a humbling and amazing experience. He he knows his field. He knows his craft like 
like nobody I've ever met. I mean, someday I want to ascend to his level of knowledge in SE, right? Yeah. Like I want to be able to, like what he has done for nonverbals, I want to reach that point in social engineering. It's like, when you say nonverbals, you cannot not think of Paul Ekman. Right. And I want to, I want to ascend to that where I just know so much. It's like, it oozes out of me. He, in writing with him, what I loved was uh, the thought process that he had in making the book great. It was, let's not write about something that is not proven science. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that if we put it in the book, it's been proven over and over and over again. So that way we could tell people this is backed by these 80 pieces of research. We know this is real because of this. So when I, when I look at that book, it's probably one of my biggest pieces of pride, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and, and, it, you know, like with my first book, I would go to Amazon and I would read every review. And if someone would be like, I hate you, Chris, you're, 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 you're disgusting. I'd be like, Oh, I'm so sad. You know, <laughs> and I get, you know, really hurt my feelings that you hate me. And with that book, I just don't care what people say because yeah. it's like, you can hate it. You can tell me it's worthless. You could say, I learned nothing. I, it doesn't bother me. I'm like, I got to work with Paul freaking Ekman. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to the point that my daughter got trained by him personally, my yeah. daughter, I mean, when she was like nine or something and now she's 15 and she has a friendship with Paul Ekman. Like that, that's, that's amazing. So cool. <laughs> you know, we just went out to San Francisco and had dinner with him, you know, and, and just hang out with Paul Ekman and took him out to dinner. And my daughter gets to sit like, how is that going to affect her life when she's older and, thinking about career paths, like this is, you know, it's things that you, you can't sometimes look back and see how one little decision or one little conversation is going to change your existence. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. And, uh, and I learned a lot from him and it wasn't just about nonverbals. I learned a lot from him, how to be a professional and also the proper way to treat, just treat people. Like he is just always respectful and kind, yeah. but he's exacting. It, it mm-hmm. like what you asked me before about, how I feel about seeing people get in the industry and my answer part of my answer was literally based on working with him because it's like, if you're not going to handle this right, then I just don't have time for you. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to push manipulation or you're going to not care about people's feelings or your only concern is to win, or you're going to be like, there's no reason to, to bash people to get ahead in this industry. There's mm-hmm. no reason. So if that's your motto, guess what? I'm just not going to deal with you. I'm not going right. to badmouth you. I'm not mm-hmm. going to talk bad about you. I'm not going to lower myself to your standards. I'm just not going to make you my constituent. I'm not going to make you my equal. I'm not right. going to put, I'm not going to give you a platform. And that's what Paul has always done. People come out and they're like, write a, a wall street journal article. Paul Ekman's full of crap. He, there's only six emotions, not seven. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he just goes, don't respond. Don't even respond. Right. To it. He's like, let my 60 years of research do do the talking. Oh and I'm goodness. like, that is genius because people say things about you on the internet. And all I yes. want to do is just like open up Twitter and just start, oh, I hate you. Yeah. And here's all my rage and burn the earth. And, and he's just like, just, just chill, man. Just yeah. chill and just let it go because let your work prove that mm-hmm. you're a better person. And I'm like, why is that so awesome? But yet so hard. And that that's been my motto. So I know I keep doing long answers, but man, you asked me a really good question. So. Oh, that's fantastic. So what, what do you think has been the biggest tool in your toolbox? Ooh. Ooh. Wow. 
Damn. Coming with the question. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like for, for, for your six o'clock in the morning, you guys are on it. You guys are on it. I was expecting like some, so uh, how did you sleep last night? You guys are like, bam, brain, smack it right in the brain. Wake up. You know, like, hey, maybe we should do all podcasts as early. I know. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> I don't know, though, but someone else may be like, I'm crying now because I'm afraid. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, wow, my biggest tool. I actually have an answer to that. I didn't know if I did, but I just, it just hit me. So I, got, I also had the privilege of working with a guy, Robin Dreek, who was the director of the Behavioral Analysis Unit for the FBI for like 20-something years. And he's just retired. He's on the board of my nonprofit. And he's written a bunch of books on trust and rapport and things like that. And he had this motto when he was – so he was a spy recruiter. So he would recruit people from other governments to you know, give information for the American government. And he had this motto that, that one – if he couldn't, if he couldn't get you to, to, to work with him in three cups of coffee, so over a span of three cups of coffee, then he would give up. And two, he would always leave the person feeling better for having met him. And when I started working with him, I said, I wonder if I could do that in SE. Like, could I be a social engineer, but use pretext that make people feel better? Like, could I actually hack into a company and only use pretext that make people feel good? And I said, let's try it. And we, we, commit, we, we commissioned our people for a year to say, let's only use pretexts that don't make people feel like a little bit of fear, fine, but not debt, like your accounts are hacked or we found your nudes. That's like extreme fear. We don't use those, right? right? Um, using uh, pretexts like, you know, we saw your daughter online. No, terrible. Or we hacked your account and bought all this, you know, stuff on your credit card. No. So we said, let's see. And what I found was two things. One, it took a ton more work to accomplish the same job. But when I was done with the job, I had companies that were loving working with us because their people enjoyed the program. And now I have clients that have signed on. I have a client that's been with me nine years and just signed another three-year contract. Mm-hmm. Where the heck do you find that in this industry? Right. right? I mean, in, in a consulting industry, and it's because when we talk to them, they say, yeah, but we love working with you. You know, you do the job and and then that doesn't mean we never use the negative stuff. We do, but only after you think of it, like, this is the analogy. Do you, you either guys box or martial arts or fight? Of course. Yep. Okay. Right. So you go into the, the gym the first time. Can you imagine if your instructor sat you down in front of a computer and showed you a 20 minute video and then said, okay, go fight. No, right. right? But we things. do that with, with the people all the time. We sit, we show them a video on fishing and then say, you're ready. But now imagine this also, if the guy put gloves on you and headgear and he took you to the heavy bag and you're punching the bag, and then he says, okay, good, now get in the ring. No, no. What you would expect is you would be on that bag for weeks, maybe months. You'd be sparring with a good partner after that, and it'd be, it would be a long time before you were in a ring fighting an actual person that wanted to fight. Right. And we feel our security practice should be the same way, even though the bad guys aren't doing that, that if I start you off with Mike Tyson in the ring, you're going to hate me, you're going to feel bad, and you're going to fail 100%. Mm-hmm. But if I start you off with a sparring partner, and then as you prove to me that you can succeed, I become more and more aggressive, more and more manipulative. I step up the game to more nation state type stuff. Mm. We find that people actually learn the lessons that they need to learn. Right. Yep. So we've, been, we've been doing that. It's been my best tool. It's the reason why I might 10 years later, my company is now triple, quadruple the size. It's the reason why I have clients that stick with me for 9, 10, 11 years. 
the reason is because I've employed that methodology and we don't just burn through customers like they, like they're, like they're, you know, renewable resources. Right. Wow. What an answer. Yeah. That's, that's a really, that's a, that's a great answer. I'm, I'm impressed just by that, that number and statistic, because that's so true. A lot of times dealing with products, services, what are you learning? If it's, if you're not learning a, a lesson by those constantly, it's easy to replace them or go look elsewhere. Yep, exactly. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show from the bottom of our hearts. This has been an excellent conversation, but for our listeners that are definitely interested in going to that conference, cause I, I wouldn't miss it. Could you let everybody know how to stay up to date with you, your podcast, your company, and then more information about the conference? I'm going to get a code. I'm going to give all your listeners a special code. Let's do it. That we don't. This is an exclusive code, by the way. Exclusive. (laughs) It is because it's going to be huge. It's because I've I've enjoyed this so stinking much. So if they go to sevillage.org, so social, you know, the socialengineervillage.org, sevillage.org, they can see all the information about the conference. They can register. And if when they're registering, if they want to go, if they put in a code HHC600, it will take $600 off the price. Wow. Great. That's, yeah. That's, that's like a code we don't give out. That's just for your people. Thank you. We yes. really appreciate it. And that's because that. you asked the best questions I've ever been asked like, <laughs> <clears throat> on an InfoSec podcast. Like, honestly, that was like mind blowing. Wow. Nice. High praise. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you guys, I mean, that was really thoughtful questions. I mean, really seriously, like honestly, people listening to this, I feel going to get some serious value out of the, 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 the back and forth. It's really cool. Thank you so much. And, and anything about how to, best ways to stay in contact with you? So, you know, we, of course, everyone in our industry lives on Twitter. So I'm human hacker on Twitter. Besides the SE Village site, social-engineer.org or social-engineer.com. Both sites have boxes where you can communicate with us that does get back to me. But if you want to ping me on Twitter, I'm, I'm always on there at human hacker and kind of got lucky with that one too, because <laughs> I got that one like a, 12 years ago. And, you know, <laughs> that, I like never didn't think about that. This is going to become an industry, human hacking industry. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you can follow me on that and we can chat that way. Or one of the websites would work just fine too. And on the dot org is where you can find the framework and the code of ethics and the podcast, and the newsletter and all that kind of free resources that we have. Fantastic. Thanks yes. again, Chris. Really appreciate it. And good, good luck at the conference. And I think it's going to be great. Yeah. And we'll see you there. Thanks. See you next time.